Good morning, church. One more time. Good morning, church. Today is going to be a fantastic day. Man, so many birthdays. I can't even name them all, but two of our uh, staff have birthdays today. Greg Wheeler and Cheryl Biggs, happy birthday. It, March is a big celebration month. It's my parents' anniversary today. They've been married 102 years. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, that's true, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> I'm starting a series today called A Generous Life, and I, uh, just to give credit to where credit is due, I'm going off of a book. It's a small book. You can order it online if you want. It's called The Treasure Principle, um, Treasure Prince, Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's an easy read, quick read, but so much more than I'm going to be able to present today in this sermon. So if, if this piques your interest, I really uh, encourage you to buy that book. You can go to smile, S-M-I-L-E, smile.amazon.com. By the way, you can order, if you order anything off of Amazon, if you type in smile first, you can choose the Exchange Church as the beneficiary, and Amazon will send us money. So you can get those new throw pillows and give to your church at the same time. Uh, so the book is super fantastic. I'm talking about money. Money, M-O-N-E-Y. So you can take a deep breath. You're not going to get offended today. I've got three weeks to do that. Um, Today, I just want to help shift our mindset and our thinking patterns and how we perceive possessions, wealth, money, eternity, time, treasure, and talents. Just want to unpack that a bit. I have 28 minutes on the clock to convey all that I need to convey. And if I know anything, I know this, that a long-winded sermon on money is an awful lot like a hostage situation. So I'm going to keep it to the 28 minutes today. If you'll just stay with me, uh, sit all the way down today and stay with me. Open up your hearts to hear from God. It's going to be a fantastic day. And I, I can guarantee that because Jesus actually spoke about money 15% of all that he said in Scripture. 15%. That is more than heaven and hell combined. Jesus thinks money is a pretty important topic, and I want to lay that out. To you today. Let's first go to Matthew 13. I have a lot of scripture. So if you want to take notes, there will be a lot that you want to chew on throughout the week and go back and verify uh, what it's saying or read more in context. But Matthew 13, 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, let me, let me back up and give you this story. Jesus is walking in a crowd. And he's talking about money. He's talking in parables. A parable is a story. And he says a lot of things throughout this text in Matthew 13. But he's in the crowd and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When man found it, he hid it again and in his joy sold everything he owned and bought the very field where the treasure lay. He then goes on to say the kingdom of heaven is also like um, a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found pearls of great value, he sold all that he had and he bought the pearls. Jesus is wanting us to understand something about the concept of giving, the concept of kingdom, the concept of where our true treasure lies. So if we read first in Matthew 13, 44, this is 
what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, if you leave out those two words, in joy, you're going to miss the entire context of what Scripture is trying to say to us. The man's walking along. I imagine him with a walking stick. He's got his sandals on, toes are dirty, needs a pedicure, and he's walking, and he hits something with his stick, and it sounds like a thud, not like a rock, not like grass, not like water, just a, a thud. So he hits it again a couple times, and as he does, the dirt shuffles away, and he sees something glimmering, something that's reflecting the sunlight. So he bends down on his knees, and he brushes away the dirt, and he pulls up this box, he opens it up, and he, he sees magnificent treasure in the box. But the land isn't his. And he doesn't want to steal, so he puts the treasure back in the ground, covers it up, knowing what's waiting for him when he buys this piece of land. And he, he goes back, sells everything he owns. He, he sells the cows, he sells the fence, he sells the, the ford, he sells everything he owns to go and buy the field where the treasure lay because he had a visual, he had a perspective of understanding that he's not trading down, he's trading up. He's getting something really worth selling everything because once he owns the deed to this land, it's going to triple, quadruple the profits that he just made on this. We, we then go to Luke chapter 3. All throughout scripture, we see this trend going on. Luke chapter 3 is a very interesting piece of text. I like it because it's New Testament text in the book of Luke that is referring to Isaiah, Old Testament. So it is somewhat marrying, partnering Old Testament theology, New Testament theology on this whole notion of money and possessions. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness... Prepare for the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Now you know John, he, he's not very politically correct. If you know John the Baptist, right? John, I'm not talking about John, the one that Jesus loves most. I'm, John the Baptist is not very politically correct. He's filthy. He has a, an aversion to showers, right? He's got matted hair. He, he stinks. He's loud and obnoxious. And he's got a crowd there, and he's calling people out. And he's saying, hey, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he's shouting, repent. Then he's shouting to keep fruit in keeping with repentance. This is a side note off of the topic of money. I just find it extremely interesting that God put it in Scripture right in the middle, surrounded by the topic of money. Produce fruit in line with repentance. Some of us maybe don't understand what repentance is. Repentance is you, you see sin in your life. The Lord reveals sin, darkness in your life. Repentance means you turn away from sin and toward Jesus. It doesn't mean that we feel guilty about sin, but then we come back and flirt when the sun goes down again. 
So right in this context of this very crazy preacher who's about to baptize Jesus, like this is the segue of Jesus coming on the scene. He says something along the lines of, hey, just make sure that if you believe in repentance, if you say you believe in repentance, you better be producing some fruit in line with that repentance because you will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. But then we go on. And the crowd is there and uh, verse 10, he says, what should we do then? By now they're getting a little offended, I would assume. And John answers, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John replies, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. You understand in this text, people are asking John, what does spiritual transformation look like? Like we're talking kingdom. What does that spiritual transformation look like? They actually weren't asking him about money at all. But the three things he answered to their question of spiritual transformation all centered around money. He says, if you have an extra shirt, give one to somebody who doesn't. If you have extra food, give some to someone who doesn't. If you're collecting taxes, collect the right amount. Don't collect more than you're supposed to. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Hey, John, how do I know if there's spiritual transformation going on in my life? The answer is simple. Money, 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 money. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I'd get you. We can actually see what spiritual transformation looks like by money. And it's interesting to me that when John says money, 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 their response is suddenly, I think he might be the Messiah. By him having the boldness and the courage and actually speaking kingdom truth, that spiritual transformation occurs in our generosity centered around money. Suddenly the spirit inside of them that was craving to be grown, thirsty for knowledge, recognized what he was saying and thought he surely must be the Messiah. We see this trend over and over. Um, St. Patrick's Day. I have to talk about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. <laughs> Don't think he was Irish. That's okay. St. Patrick wasn't either. I think he was just an Irish missionary. I think I could be wrong on that. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 8 through 9, Zacchaeus is a short little man. He hears that Jesus is coming by. So what does he do? He climbs a sycamore fig tree because he wants to see who Jesus is. He's a tax collector. He's super wealthy. Jesus is passing by, points up to Zacchaeus and says, hey, come down from the tree. I simply got to go to your home. We got to spend some time together. And the crowd who had been pressing against Jesus, just wanting more of him, got offended. Why would Jesus go to the home of a sinner, they said. And the result, in Scripture, we don't see that Zacchaeus had this aha moment of, oh, 
You must be the son of God. You made me grow four inches, right? You must be the son of God. You know my past. You must be the son of God. I just feel the presence. Actually, we see the spiritual transformation of Zacchaeus only in verse eight and nine. He stood up and his response was, here and now I give half of all of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. A spiritual transformation in Zacchaeus immediately created something inside of him where he had to send money where money needed to go. Mark chapter 12, you want more verification? Mark chapter 12, New Testament, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. How many of y'all have ever prayed that prayer? God, just make me rich so I can give big. I've prayed that many times and the Lord said, well, what are you giving now? If, If I can't trust you with what you have now, I can't trust you to be rich. Yeah, that's just side note. That's for free. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She understood that the money did actually not belong to her. The money wasn't hers. I heard the story of a woman in church. She had her son sitting next to her when the offering plate was being passed. And he had a couple dollars in his hand, and he was reluctant. He wasn't going to give in the offering. And so she leans over, and she said, hurry, the, the container's almost here. you gotta, you got to drop it in. So she's thinking quick, feeling all eyes on her. And she leans down to her son, and she says, son, drop the money. It's tainted. So he drops the money. The bucket passes, and he looks up at mom and whispers, Mom, why was that money tainted? Was it dirty? And she says, No, son, the money wasn't dirty at all. It just taint yours and taint mine. <laughs> Kyler, you're easy. <laughs> the money's not ours. Now, listen, I know the American dream. And I am thankful for the American dream, this this concept and notion of ownership. But the reality is you and I are not citizens of the American dream. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And God owns it all. We're only stewards. So when you hear a sermon about money and you, you feel intense and you're holding on to your wallets, I understand. I've been there too. But the reality is we're not talking about your money anyway. So deep, deep breaths. We're talking about the money in your back pocket that belongs to God, that he's trusting you to steward. Someone told me about a story. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name. Fa- fam- famous preacher. He lived in the 1700s. And uh, he was at church one day. True story, Kyler. This is going somewhere. He was at church one day. And someone comes running to the church, and, and they said, oh, we have to tell you, your house is burned to the ground. Your house is burned to the ground. And he walks outside, and he was like, well, it's okay. And they, what do you mean it's okay? Your house is burned to the ground. And he goes, it's not my house. It's, it's God's house. 
If he chose to take it, it's just one less responsibility I have to manage. And, and it wasn't being like in denial. It's just the reality is there is nothing that you and I own, earn or own that really belongs to us. We're just stewards of the one who owns it all. And I have a few verses to prove to you that Jesus owns it all. The rich man comes to Jesus in Matthew 19. You remember this maybe in the Bible. He shows up in his nice robe, newly pressed. Jack Brown took care of that. Pressed robe. He's got his scepter and his jewels. And uh, he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and, well, actually, he doesn't say Jesus. He says, good teacher. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. And this rich dude interrupts Jesus and says, yeah, I know that. I've done that since I was a boy. And Jesus says, but one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. It's a, a tad interesting that since he was a boy, this rich man had gone through the motions of what it looked like to be in relationship with God. It's also interesting that the rich man was asking, how do I get eternal life? He wasn't asking, how do I just grow a little bit more in my faith? He wasn't asking, how do, I, how do I just kind of purify my heart? How do I clean my motives? He said, good teacher, how do I earn eternal life? He's talking about like life and death stuff here. And the answer, the solution was money. I'm not suggesting that you can buy your way to heaven. And I'm not suggesting for you to go sell your motorcycles and your boats and your acreage of land. I'm not suggesting that you wear the same clothes every day. Please don't. But there is this notion in Scripture about money and perspective and possessions that we have to wrap our mind around. This is the big idea, the big idea that, that you can write down. First of all, let's read Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves, everybody say yourselves, treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, everybody say yourselves, treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Question on these two verses, is it wrong to store up treasure for yourself? This is a, not a theoretical question. Is it wrong to store up treasures for yourself? No. It's not wrong to store up treasures for yourself. The right and wrong is where you place the treasures. Not trying to get something for yourself. We have this notion in church world, I don't give to get. Why? That's dumb. Do you go to a restaurant to eat? Like, do you put in gas in your car to drive it? There is a spiritual principle at work where God says, when you sow, you should expect to reap. We know that works on the, the bad side of life. 
you stay out all night and you don't sleep, you're going to reap some mental issues, right? You, you drink too much, you're going to reap some physical issues. You do drugs, you're going to reap some things. We all know that. We can identify that on the bad side of life, right? You email privately some hot girl at work while you're married at home, you're going to reap some, some trauma in your life if you live long. We can identify and link cause and effect on the bad side of life. Why are we so hesitant to trust God at his word and stand on promises? Because he is faithful and he will finish what he started. So when I sow into kingdom work, you you better expect something back. If you're not expecting something back, you're not engaging your faith in the process. So keep the money. You don't plant a seed in a garden and not water it and expect a harvest. It doesn't make you more holy because you throw money into a plate and you say, I'm good, God, just bless someone else. God says, but this is our arrangement. This is our covenant. If you don't hold me to the covenant, you, are you not doing that because you don't want me to hold you to your part of the covenant? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that a plot twist? Who would have expected God to say, God and money? Like, that's the other master, money? Why, why not? You can't serve God and porn. You can't serve God and sexual addiction. You can't serve God and Satan. Like, I can think of a lot more masters to put next to God that would seem a little more equitable. But the writer says, you can't serve God and money. The reality is you're already living in eternity. You just don't know it yet. Everyone that dies will go somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Heaven and hell. Like I I know we, we like to think uh, just this uh, fuzzy concept of heaven and hell, but can I just tell you heaven and hell is real. It's a tangible, tangible place. And all of us will spend eternity somewhere. You've already started your line of eternity. The Bible is, is so clear in this text that we're reading. We can store up treasure in eternity, in heaven. So when I, on this earth, invest money into kingdom purposes, I'm storing up treasure over there. This is literal treasure, by the way, in heaven. You can look it up or email me. I'll I'll throw out the verses to you. But the more you invest on this earth, the Bible says you get 100 times that amount in heaven. That's, no, sorry, that times 100. That is 10,000% markup of your investment. In heaven, 
the, the Bible talks about uh, what does that look like? It looks like godly power, more authority in, it, in heaven. You, you will have more authority in heaven based on what you give here on, on earth. More treasure in heaven. Maybe, maybe that looks like clothes. Maybe it looks like a mansion. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it looks like a, I have no idea the, the physical aspect of it. We do know three things, though. Number one, Jesus is the greatest reward, our highest reward. So our reward is a person, for sure. We also know that our reward is a place, for sure. It's called heaven, a very real place, a place with waterfalls, a place where you can um, repel off mountains, a place where you can sit in a field with tons and tons of lilies and birds chirping and sit under the shade of a tree reading a good book, a good book that was written in the 1300s that you never even knew existed, but heaven has a library filled with every work that was ever penned by the hand of God through the hand of a human. Heaven has streams of water where you can go fishing. Heaven is a very real place, and we're going to spend eternity there. If you, when you die are in Christ, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Your loved ones that have already gone on to eternity that you crave to see, what a reunion that's going to be the day you make it there. You're, you're going to sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac. You're going you're gonna to walk in the meadows with Moses. Like you're going to climb mountains with all kinds of people. You're, you're going to probably eat a lot with Peter. Heaven is a very real place. And we're creating treasure today when we give for when we get there. So the one point that I need you to write down today is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Someone went up to um, Rockefeller. Rockefeller, at the time when he passed away, John D. Rockefeller was the most rich man in America. Someone went up to his estate, people handling his estate, and they said, you got to tell me how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? And immediately they replied, all of it. All of it. You will part with your money one day. You can either part with it when you die, or you can use it with the kingdom mindset today, every day that you live. You can invest a little bit by feeding a homeless person. You can invest a little bit by bringing cans to church. You may never know who opens that can and who's belly it fills, but you're sending treasure to heaven for your eternity. You, you could go to a restaurant today like Red Lobster or one of the other restaurants, and even if you don't have money to eat, you can get the free chips and then tip 15 bucks for free chips. That's investing in your eternity. I have a few points that I'm running out of time that you probably should understand Number one, God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. Haggai 2, 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Wait a minute. God didn't write a recommendation letter when I got hired at Google. He didn't have to. 
He let your heart beat one more day. He allowed you to breathe in oxygen one more day. He allowed you to have the mental facilities to be able to handle an interview or to do the work. Everything you do, I don't care how creative you think you are, how analytical you think you are, everything we are is only by, for, and through our creator. He owns it all. He owns it all. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Here's the next point you can write down. This is probably my favorite. My heart always goes where I put God's money. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've said a few times when I've been preaching, I've said something really, really brilliant. Like, you can tell where your heart is if you look at your checkbook. How many have heard me say that? Yeah, I love it. Still say it to this day. Um, By the way, for those that haven't heard me say that, you can actually tell where your heart is if you look at your bank account and your checkbook. But Jesus actually takes it a step further. What what I'm telling you is true, but Jesus takes it a, a tad further. It's not just by looking at your checkbook or your bank statement, can you tell where your heart is? You can tell your heart where to go. Your heart will follow where you send money. Do you, do you see the, the power of this? It's, it's not a coincidence that spiritual transformation all throughout Scripture is said, oh, you can see it by money, 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 money. But you can send your heart where it needs to go. You feel burnt out with church or burnt out with serving, which by the way, I think that's a myth. I don't, that's another sermon. I don't think you can get burnt out um, if you're doing it through the power of Christ, not through the power of you. But anyway, um, that's another, remind me, I'll come back to that later. But you feel like you might possibly be burnt out? Give more into ministry that you feel like burned you. You you spent too much time serving in E-Kids? Buy E-Kids something new. Send more money because it will send your heart. You, you, feel, you feel burnt out because you think um, Joyce Meyer shouldn't have this, that, or whatever. Send her money. See how much you pray for then. Your heart will go where your money goes. I, another example, Carrie loves missions. Me, I like local missions. She likes uh, the, the huts in Africa with no AC. I like Pflugerville. <laughs> but I've often prayed and I've asked God, Lord, like, that's kind of important. Go into all the world and share the good news. I, I need to have the heart of a missionary loving person. And so I, I play the part that I play and I, I fund my wife doing that and I bless her to go off and just say, please come back and... Um, and I've gone actually on some missions trips. It just doesn't get me fired up like it does her. But if I want more of a missions heart, I need to start giving more into missions. Me, me. Not like just allowing my wife to, me. I need to give more to the orphanage. I need to give more to the Romanians. I need to give more to Campus Crusade for Christ in Romania. 
I need to invest my treasure, my talent, my time, and my resources into that thing where I want my heart to be drawn because this principle is simply this, that where I send my money, it creates a new center of gravity. So as I send my money into kingdom, suddenly circumstances of this world don't matter so much to me because I'm not revolving around circumstances of this world. My heart is now aligned with the center of gravity of the kingdom of eternity. Send your money where you want your heart to go. Point number whatever it is. Heaven and the future new earth, not this fallen one, fallen one is my home. You guys understand we're going to heaven. We're going to a place that is a very real place. Isn't that good news? I would hate to spend eternity as some disembodied spirit floating on a cloud. Wouldn't, I mean, Maybe that sounds good to you, but like my ADD doesn't want to stay in eternity just like a bubble, you know? Heaven is a very real place, and heaven is my home. I'm only an alien here. We, we know that in Scripture. I am a citizen of heaven. We understand in Hebrews eleven thirteen it says that we're pilgrims. We are strangers, aliens on earth. We are ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that are representing our true country. Our citizenship is in heaven. Where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. I'll say that one more time. Where we store our treasure depends largely on where we think our home is. Imagine, imagine you go to France for three months. You're doing some work there. They're paying you good money in France, putting you up in a temporary residence. You're making really, really, really good money. The only problem is you know it's temporary. And so you can't, you can't go buy exquisite furniture or fantastic artwork. Or you're not going to put it in a pool for three months. Do you know what I mean? It's, you're sending money back to America because you know that... that you, you can't take any of this furniture with you, but you can send stuff on ahead so that when you get there, it's waiting for you. That's this notion of the treasure principle. The Bible is very clear, very clear, very clear that as we build kingdom on earth, we are storing up treasure in heaven. This is our life. You can see this little orange dot and this arrow, very long arrow. We're already living eternity now. It just so happens that our life, our eternal life is in two phases. A physical one here on earth, which is the dot. The Bible says life on earth is like a vapor. It's gone. But in context of the eternity that you and I will live somewhere, this is a very short time. We feel like some days it's like, oh, my life is so long. I'm never going to see my loved one that's gone ahead. I'm never going to get to the dreams that I want. But when you look at the line, that's very short, right? I suggest that we live not for the dot, but for the line. Many of us are living in the dot for the dot. But Jesus says we're in the world, not of the world, so we live in the dot, but for the line. That's what a kingdom ambassador looks like. Every decision that you make when you go to Burger King and get that amazing 
uh, cheeseburger sandwich, Burger King, favorite burgers. I know, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I only do it like twice a year, three times a year. Get an extra burger. Because we have a homeless group, Grand Avenue Parkway in 35, that's hungry every day of this week. That's living in the dot, but living for the line. I want to close with this. Some of you are, are already making notes. Um, sell the cars, sell the furniture, sell the wife, whatever. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that we not think about gain. Let me just set that record straight. I am not suggesting that you living in poverty brings God glory. So this maybe is the perspective that we have to shift to. I'm, I'm saying gain is good. God wants you to gain because if you don't gain in the dot, you can't send to the line. He only wants us to focus on gain that we will never lose, that the moth and vermin cannot destroy, that thieves can't steal in and take all that we've accumulated. You know what heaven's going to be like? Crystal, it's going to be you, you walking down the streets of heaven, the, the big city. I bet there are some of the best shopping malls in heaven. Everything's free, and everything fits and looks good. You're going to be walking in the mall, Crystal. Do you shop, by the way? You like to shop? You like to shop if it was other people's money? Yeah, okay. The average American spends six hours a week shopping and 45 minutes talking to their kids about God. That's living in the dot, not for the line. Side note. You're going to be in heaven, Crystal, and you know people watch you, and they, they're watching what you do. They watch how you react. They watch if you gossip or not. They watch you, whatever it is. Like you, you see people watching you. We all do. And, and they're going to come up to you and thank you. But what, what I'm looking forward to is that guy that walks over who I've never met in my life, and he says, Trey, you don't know me. I lived in Massachusetts all my life. I, I was on the internet one day. I was at the end of myself about to take my own life, and for some reason, somebody had texted me or emailed me a link, but when I wrote it into the browser, I wrote the wrong thing, and it took me to your church. And I was watching online. And I never, I never reached out to you. I didn't tell you on earth. I, I just moved on with it. But it was in that moment that my life was forever changed. And that's going to be your story, Crystal. You, you and Everett in heaven. People are going to walk up to your family. Everett's on camera many times throughout the month because of his generosity and his talent and his time. Because of Crystal's generosity and her funding of the vision you're going to have people thank you in heaven that you had no idea you even impacted them. We have to live for the line, not just for the dot. March 31st is our legacy offering. And I, I'm asking you to give big ne next week. Uh, I'll give you a little preview of what I'm sharing next week. Um, if I can remember it. 
I told them in first service, but I haven't fleshed it all out. Next week, I want to talk about tithing, tithing, the 10%. I want to tell you where that came from. I want to actually teach you how tithing started in the Garden of Eden. This notion of dominion was actually stewardship. Tithing, it's pull money off the table, and it's everything that we sometimes claim to own, which God really owns, so our time, treasure, and our talent. And God has given us the authority of dominion, which is stewarding what he holds in his hand. That started in the book of Genesis. It's going to go all the way through Revelations. When we're in the new heaven that's here on earth and we have jobs for the kingdom, Carrie's going to work in the garden somewhere, I'm sure. We will have opportunities to steward what God has created in heaven. And it's a job we're going to love. I want to talk about the 10% and how it actually goes into the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus did not come to demolish the 10%. Um, this is the bottom, bottom wrong. Generosity is when you go above 10%, when you give an offering above. And then we also see in Scripture the sacrificial giving where on rare occasion everyone pulls their money together for big causes. We, we see in Scripture there was, they were rebuilding the temple and they had to compel the people to stop giving because so much resource came in. That's the kind of church we're building. This is the kingdom that God wants to where we are so compelled for eternity. We're so compelled to get more butts in these seats. We are so compelled to go around the world on live stream to send out people to help homeless. Are you with me, church? Like we're living for eternity. And when you start investing in eternity, suddenly God starts giving you more money because you can be trusted with what you've been given. And you can't, I don't allow you to walk away from the sermon today thinking that I'm at all suggesting a poverty mindset. Because God wants you blessed. He wants you favored. I'm not asking you to adopt a poverty mindset. I'm asking you to adopt the mindset of an investor. Understanding that this is temporary and we're living on a line for eternity. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. I thank you that giving is the antidote to materialism. God, I thank you that you prosper us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And so, God, I just ask that you would increase our faith. God, we know that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you're going to do. So, God, we step out in faith and we begin to release funds into the kingdom in every area that that looks like. It may look like canned goods. It may look like giving homeless people food or shelter. It may take on a thousand different forms. But God, we're thinking through the lens of eternity because we see that treasure box. We cover it back up and we go back and we sell everything we own to buy that very field where the treasure lay. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Can you just give the Lord a hand clap this morning? God bless you.